Good evening, listeners. It is the 30th of September, 2018, and you're tuned in to 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It is currently just after 7 p.m., and on a Sunday, that can only mean one thing. It's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Lori Lutz. And I'm Kristen Finch. At Oregon State University, we have more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you're a graduate student at OSU and you're interested in coming on the show, or you just want to find out more about all the awesome things happening at Oregon State, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration, where you can find out all about our up and coming guests and links to our Twitter and Facebook pages. Inspiration dissemination is recorded live, and should they occur, any opinions expressed on the show are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily represent Oregon State University or this station. Tonight, we are joined by Atharta Tulater. We are so happy that you could join us, and do you just want to get us started by telling us a little bit about your lab and what you do? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, it's great to be in this show. Um, I work in the lab of Dr. Khan Tumor, and uh, the name of the lab is um, um, Adi, which is uh, basically um, we work with um, autonomous agents and distributed uh, intelligence. So the autonomous agents part is where we have, let's say, uh, agents such as maybe um, robots that go out and learn how to do things. They, um, the tasks that they're assigned to do. And then the distributed intelligence is how do these robots that learn how to go and do things collaborate as a part of teams, uh, either with other robots or, or maybe at some point with humans and achieve a common goal. All right. So just to sort of wrap our brain around this, maybe some of us are more familiar with one robot performing a task on its own. But what you're talking about is more robots working together to um, perform a task. So one, why, what is that? <laughs> and why yeah. do we need to have multiple robots instead of just one? Yeah, so, um, so uh, definitely like having multiple robots is, uh, is and will be necessarily for um, tasks that really need um, coordination. For example, um, let's say a practical example would be you have, you send in uh, a number of let's say five ro rovers to Mars and they can't like each if each one of them is going to go in their own direction and search for things that is pre uh, pretty much not going to be that efficient um, and they're going to try to do things that maybe the other rovers ha have already learned to do so um, making them work together as part of a team and maybe sharing information and learning from others' experiences kind of makes this whole learning experience uh, more efficient. And also, um, if you look at maybe more task-oriented things, let's say um, if you need pictures of, let's say, a crater from three different angles to actually be able to observe it really well, like... Um, instead of one robot just going and like trying from different angles, if you have three robots, that makes the task much more easier. All right. So this, are, this reminds me of like, you know, 
my mom telling me growing up, like, learn from someone else's experience. But this is a little bit different than that because the robots are learning from the other robots' experiences. But they're also more, I guess, a better analogy for me is thinking, like, they are, they're sharing a brain, really. Yes. Yes. So, like, um, um, slightly more technical here, let's say, if, 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 like, I was a robot, then I would go out in the world and then... Um, try different things and then see like oh like I saw this uh, maybe um, I saw this ball I kicked it and, and and then it just went flying forward and then I maybe save that somewhere and then the, the, another robot might like you know look at that and say hum like this robot that did, did this thing and then this is what happened of it so like you know I can learn something from from that experience so basically they pull all of their experiences so that all of them can uh, benefit from it so we're talking about the robots learning and how how is this learning achieved how do the robots know I guess if you will that they're learning something that they're and that they're doing the right thing yeah so um so that's when we kind of talk about the algorithms that we use. So um, one, let's say an, an umbrella of algorithms that like, you know, we use is kind of called like reinforcement learning. And what that means is um, in scenarios where you cannot, um, cannot write steps to demonstrate how to do a thing. For example, you are, um, you are maybe juggling a ball, right? Oh, and then like these complex maneuvers that you do with your hands and fingers, you, there's no possible way to just write each step, like, you know, move your pinky this way or like things like that. Um, so, so in those situations, all you can do is whether you did a good job or not at, at juggling. So, um, so reinforcement learning algorithms, as they suggest, reinforce um, your actions that were good. And like, you know, do the opposite for the actions that like, you know, was bad. So basically the only reward at the end you tell these robots or agents is whether you did good or bad or like how good or how bad. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like training a dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so even with a team of robots, if you you can um, or if you have a team of robots and they do a task in a certain way, but then you take one out and replace it with a new robot, that robot still knows from the experience of all of the other, other robots situations that achieved a reward and situations that didn't achieve a, re a reward. Yeah, yeah, technically, yeah. You, you, it's like our, our goal at the end would be to like, and not just, let's say if you had five robots, not just have that number as fixed, but then if robots come in and out, but still be able to maintain, um, like, you know, be able to uh, get to the task that you're assigned. Yeah. So but there's no like training, a new training day for a new trainee robot, right? It's like you, you can k skip that step and maintain the efficiency of all the learning that the team of robots has already completed. Ideally, that would be our goal. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, what are some of the other um, things that your lab is investigating about improving robot team situations? Yeah. Um, so um, before we touch on that, I was just going to say, like, what's the what's the broader picture here? Right? Yeah, is, yeah. is it just do we only care about robots going on to Mars or is it something that, let's say, um, as anyone right now can like you know see or know what like this technology is in enabling so um 
multi-agent systems are like multi-agent uh, robots, multi-robot systems. Um, these can be applied to different uh, things, such as even in like the Amazon warehouse, where that's like, you know, packaging and like bringing all the um, items that you order together to a human and then saying like, you know, like basically doing a lot of the meat of the work that they have to do uh, by intelligently coordinating among themselves or even uh, simple things that we take as granted, uh, such as like air traffic management, right? If you think of all these individual um, tower stations or airplanes to be as um, as agents or like, you know, something like that, then you can say like, how do they like collaborate? Or like, you know, in some cases it could be how, how do they compete? right, to, to get to their tasks. So what our lab does is basically focus on these things. It doesn't have to uh, specifically be robots um, in that sense, but then generally if there are different things, different entities, or like as we like to use the term agents, how, do, um, how is the intelligence of having more than one agent in the environment um, kind of make the task more easier or like, you know, how do they actually, um, how, how will a group of uh, agents achieve a task that is maybe in some ways uh, could, not, could not or could never have been achieved by like a single agent? Mm -hmm. So in order to do this, they have to have some way to communicate with each other. But, it, but that communication might not be something that we're familiar with. Can you tell us a little bit about how the, the robots or the agents communicate with one another? Yeah, so um, that's an interesting uh, field of study that's going on right now. There are definitely like agents that don't communicate. Let's say um, they just maybe observe what others are doing. Um, that's that's definitely one paradigm, but then there's also another where like there's specific like communication channels, and um, and even um, and, and and it's and that that thought is interesting because even biologically, if we think about it, like communication emerged from the need um, to collaborate, right? Like it's it's not just like something we do because we like to talk all the time. Um, it's, it's because there is a specific need that we have that is only going to be um, accomplished if we can communicate. So with robots, um, let's say um, you have, let's say, these rovers on Mars and um, one robot sees something that might be important to other. And then like, you know, then that information transferring, communicating that is going to be re really useful. So how they communicate that or even not how they communicate, but how they learn to um, create their vocabulary is very interesting. And some of the research that I have seen in the past is like, they don't, robots don't necessarily need to use the same vocabulary as we do. Like they don't need to know what an apple is, like the same way we know an apple. Mm -hmm. they, it could be it could be a number like 1.7 for what, what an apple means, or like, you know, just a arbitrary, um, a series of letters of what an apple means. So, so, so one thing that's really interesting with this uh, machine learning or reinforcement learning paradigm is that you don't even have to specify what like, what the vocabulary means. So they would try to go back and forth uh, with like you know if you give them you have to work with let's say A B C D E. You, you have these five letters, like you make out whatever meanings that you can. So they will like try to coordinate and also like, you know, talk 
or just like, you know, send out these signals and they will make or just learn or they will converge into their own meanings of what those symbols mean. And and there's some promising research that, yeah, these can be actually efficient because, um, because uh, the idea is that they will converge to the minimum number of uh, like words that they need to use if they are penalized for talking a lot. <laughs> okay, so you still try... So the the programmer still tries to keep the language pretty uh, in pretty simple, like I guess the most parsimonious you would say or exactly. something, instead of allowing the robots to kind of I don't know run with their their language. But exactly. I, but I think the really important thing here is that or the thing that is really interesting to me is that they just as they're learning the situation and they're being rewarded for the tasks that they accomplish, they're also from nothing except maybe the five letters that you're talking about right. coming up with a whole language that is only the necessary language for their task. Exactly. And also like the, the like they might learn to learn the succinct, most succinct language, because let's say even um, biologically, if you think um, like just talking requires energy and same for um same for robots, communication would require bandwidth. So just um, having a letter for everything that you can imagine is not probably not a good idea, right? Mm -hmm. So um, if they can, uh, so that's why we have language where like we only have 26 letters, but then the how we arrange them adds meaning to like what we mean. Yep. So they would like robots in that sense, like, you know, um, would converge to their own meanings with those letters. Right. And we might not ever be able to decode their language. Yes. We, well, yeah. And there's actually um, a lot of interesting research going on on here at OSU where um, the project is called Explainable AI. Um, mm. And what they're trying to find out is, OK, we have these robots that given a task, they go out and um, do these things. But then what are they really thinking? Like, you know, let's say, is, is it looking at, let's say, this um, giant hill beside me or is it looking at something else like a puddle in front or how and why are they making those decisions based on like you know what they're doing mm -hmm. so yeah so i guess like there's uh, some research uh, direction there and um, i'm really excited about it yeah it would be interesting i guess to know if there's a group of robots for example i guess maybe in the amazon warehouse like what is a big enough or a reason that they would need to communicate with each other i guess like what did they you know they're creating the language they're creating the reasons for communication mm -hmm. also so it would be interesting to learn what reason they came up with a word for like over here or something yeah yeah it, it, it could be exactly things like that so example let's say um, a c contrived example right so i think that language is really necessarily um when there's a physical implement uh, implication of what's going to happen like the task has to have a physical embodiment so example let's say i was handicapped right and i was i mean maybe someone glued me to this chair and i needed i need to get water i was really thirsty only thing i can do is i can communicate to a person that's nearby me to get me a water because i physically physically myself can't do that so so like in a communication would emerge from the need um, to like have um, something done that you can't really do. So maybe in a warehouse situation or even in uh, rovers in Mars, it could be like, you know, uh, 
robot uh, one uh, one robot is trapped or like you know one robot needs some other robot to take an observation right maybe this robot really found something that was in- interesting but then its battery is dying out or something and like you know it really needs the help from someone else or like you know just things like that 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 would necessitate uh, ne- yeah that would require uh, communication very cool so before we move on to, to learning how you got into robotics, I want you um, to describe to us a little bit about like what in a day in the life of what you do in the lab, just for the people out there, because, you know, we've learned a lot about what you study. But like what what does that look like for you on a day to day basis? Um, yeah, so s- since I'm just starting my second year, I do have to take some classes. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, of so maybe two days in a week I'm stuck at classes. and uh, But the rest of the time is basically, um, let's say, um, s- uh, looking through, um, there's a website called Archive where you like look at what's the latest publications, um, things like that, and maybe like just every day just go through that once and see if there's like anything new popping up. And then, um, then like there will be one thing that I'm kind of working on in my head. And even if I'm just getting a coffee or something, I'm thinking, let's say, how would, let's say, a new type of algorithm fit or something. So that would be always in my head. And then like, you know, uh, just doing other things in the day, let's say maybe doing homework. But then whenever I get some free time, just like working on that, um, that part, uh, trying to advance that idea. So you have a uh, running algorithm or an algorithm that you're constantly kind of making improvements for that for these specific uh, multi-robot tasks yeah exactly so like one of the yeah exactly so mm, it's um so so the thing is like it it's it takes some amount of like time coding it right so like it's not something i can just do over like a coffee talk or something so (laughs) (laughs) i I would have to really think hard and like look at how others did that thing so Mm -hmm. like it just comes together piece by piece so um really like you know thinking uh, not just writing but then what would be like what would that mean in a physical sense or like you know what what's the greater idea that would that that this like thing that i'm writing would actually mean so things like that so um yeah and then when you're testing your algorithm what does that look like so you you have this algorithm you've done a lot of writing for it and now you want to give it a go with the machine learning so how does that look so um we basically work a lot with simulators and what that allows us to do is um as i said like these reinforcement learning algorithms they have to um try different things right they have to try different things and then see what was good and what was bad so like basically if you were trying to learn how to um lift up a coffee mug you you don't have like spare million coffee mugs that you can like you know let your robot yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) let your robot destroy or something (laughs) so like we, we use simulators which which like you know allow them to have the same feedback um but then not really destroying anything and also it makes the process really faster so example in um in let's say 24 hours they could have they could have simulated like you know um a million times how to like hold a coffee cup or something like that or yeah yeah so for those listeners just tuning in you are listening to inspiration dissemination and we are here with yatharta tulater and he is talking to us about his robotics research yeah, and so uh, Yatharta, I wanted to kind of go back 
a little bit in time and find out a little bit how you got interested in in robotics but maybe you can tell us just how you like what is a I guess a moment where you kind of figured out your career path and kind of made the decision to I don't know abandon all the other kids stuff that you were doing and focus <laughs> on electrical engineering or yeah so um so when I was um, back in Nepal, I'm originally from Nepal. So um, then the, the, some of the few areas that were like popular was either um, working in hydropower or uh, telecom or, or like construction because like Nepal is not that developed. And then there's like even these really um, like, you know, these bare necessities like hydropower. Those are like people going to a lot of jobs like um, in that area. So I thought, you know, I will... Uh, study hydropower or like telecom something like that so that's why and like be able to come back to Nepal and like you know work in that so that's why I choose electrical engineering because like you know it's uh, related to uh, all these topics so once after coming to US um, I kind of realized that um, electrical engineering was like far more than just like um, how to make electricity or like you know how to make telephone to work so and after switching like two or three places, I tried to work uh, in a photonics lab, for for instance, or also work for like a student a racing team. Um, and then like just just out of um, I don't know chance or luck, I fell into this robotics lab because at that point I was like, you know, I've, I've been trying these things and like, you know, I just need something to like really like uh, build my talent and like, you know, have something on my resume. So I need to do something. So yeah, th that's how I kind of ended up in a robotics lab. And like, um, that's where like my interests kick off and, and by maybe like six months in there or something, I was like, uh, yeah, I'm not taking a job. I'm going to grad school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so were you working already kind of starting to develop some algorithms in this robotics lab or were you really just learning like conceptually what that was or did you, do you have any specific projects that you could tell us about? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, um, so I, I, I am all, uh, working on like algorithms and, um, trying to maybe in some cases develop new algorithms or like change, um, algorithms that already exist. So, um, so one of the really interesting things is like also as we talked about communication right so think about um communication as maybe radios maybe um and you have like um let's say five uh, robots and then there's like five radios um turned on at the same time right like how do you how do you know what to listen to or even like, how do you even like pick out the necessary, like, you know, if there was a important message in one of those radios, like, you know, that we're talking. So it's, it's all about like, what do you give attention to, right? So the same with if you're driving a car, you're not necessarily looking at the um, Bob Marley poster that that's in on like, you know, a shop door or something. You're, you're mostly looking at like, you know, the taillights or like, you know, if there's pedestrians passing by or something like that. So so your visually your attention is very local to like certain things. And so even in um, robots communicating, you don't want all of them talking at the same time. You want to be able to, like, if you were a robot, to look at your um, look at your local um, scenery and say, "Is this something I need to communicate?" Um, like, because it would be really annoying if you were just talking all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
<laughs> Very cool. Yeah. So you've had a lot of experience working in a different robotics lab, and I know you're only in your second year here, but is there like, do you have some sort of like dream job or some robotics related challenge that you really want to work on when you're done with grad school? Yeah, I I really have a very uh, nebulous idea of what that would be. Um, I don't yeah. know what's the physical embodiment of that. Mm-hmm. So I would like to work in... Um, or like use robots to enable uh, things such as like, you know, in remote areas. So how do we maybe send robots to help like, you know, people, uh, let's say maybe even in um, search and rescue or even um, places where um, access to medicine is like, you know, uh, very hard. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we maybe in some cases like use teams of robots to like, you know, go do surveys or search um, areas where maybe um, miners are trapped or something like that. Um, we're working towards that. And really, like this can be used in anything from maybe sending out robots to monitor wildlife or things like that. Um, I, I would like to do some some kind of humanitarian work. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, use your, program, or your robots and your algorithms for the greater good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and the cool thing about your research is that you're working on this um, sort of general concept that can be applied in many, yes. many different ways. So yeah. that's really cool. On that topic of the just that the huge uh, application potential of robotics um, and like robots integrating into our daily lives even more than they are now, um, just for listeners who are maybe like, I don't know, mind blown by robots and how they can develop their own communication and whoa, what? Um, could you tell us some of the ways that you really see um, like big advancements for uh, different fields of study with the application of robots? Um, um, yeah, so applications of robots, um, is that what? Yeah, I guess um, I'm wondering like what fields of study or uh, what particular industries or uh, areas do you think could really uh, benefit or that we'll really start to see the benefits of having robots integrated or machine learning integrated into into our uh, those systems? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I would uh, maybe tell you a small story about my um, uh, internship this summer. So we're looking at, um, let's say, we I've already heard of like Waymo and Tesla making these uh, autonomous cars. So um, the the company that I worked for this summer was interested in how do we do the same thing for um, off-road vehicles, for example, right? So um, maybe you can maybe it's it's going to be really hard to control this uh, crane with like all these things going on and like how do we use machine learning to kind of um, kind of let the machine take over the hard part and like you know the person just watch and say like you know whether that was a good thing to do or not and um, also maybe um, this could be slightly contrived but then think of all the um, autonomous cars that would be coming into like you know into the streets right and if you think of them as um, uh, like, you know, individual agents, right? Do you think they would be able to like communicate and kind of maybe um, negotiate like, you know, who's going to go first on the road, right? It, I, I think that is a possibility <laughs> yeah. because like, you know, that would, that could actually help in eliminating traffic jams or things like that. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah, like things like that. Um, I think, uh, I think like, you know, are aware like you can't really see uh, some impact 
Yeah, so multi-robot systems, like for the autonomous cars, for example, yeah, like could really help with merging. Exactly. Like, very, like uh, ways that you think autonomous cars could go wrong could mm. be helped by these multi-robot systems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fewer traffic jams, fewer car crashes, because yeah. they're all running with the same brain, like you were, like you made the point earlier, Lori. Yeah, which is really the cool thing I think with autonomous cars is you know. Um, if a car makes a mistake, only right. one has to make a mistake once, and then all of them can learn from that. So yeah. it's like the same accident happening in the same way. It would only happen once because then they they share that brain, they share that knowledge, and so really, <laughs> I mean, I could see that being a, a huge huge benefit. Yep. Right. Correct. Yeah. So thinking about that in robots generally, the possibilities are endless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, Yathartha, I know I've learned a lot just from from talking to you for the last few days. But uh, we are getting around to the end of our time for Inspiration Dissemination Interview today. And we do have two traditions to get to. So our first tradition is for you to share a bit of advice, whether that is for undergraduates or fellow graduate students or your younger self. Um, so please share with us what advice you have and who it is for. Um, okay, so maybe the first piece of advice would uh, apply more to undergrads or like people who are maybe not even in school uh, right now. Um, so I think at this point, we really have a lot of good uh, material, um, like lectures or like things like that in the internet that you really don't need to sit in a class and learn um, and like, you know, have, have a big... Uh, a student loan. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of things that are out there that you can learn from free and you can't, you can't make the excuse that, oh, I didn't go to school for this or like, you know, um, there was no one to teach me because the, 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 the material is really rich. Um, uh, so another advice I think that would be to me or I guess someone like me um, who's trying to do research, um, what I've found uh, quite, I guess, helpful is to also have one other thing that you care about rather than just your research because you could be like oh like you know for months you could be like i want this algorithm to work and like you know i'm not gonna eat i'm not gonna like you know sleep uh but then i just i discovered um like cycling and just like you know going outside and um that just helps me whenever i'm like you know stuck in something i have something that i'm also interested in i also want to pursue so it's not just like you know stuck on this one line of code and i'm sad for the next week because of that yes that's good advice yeah self-care is so important and i really like what you mentioned about all of these resources that we now have available to us um and to to people who aren't even in school and you know if you're interested in something there are things available for you to to learn more and then our second tradition is to ask you to provide a song for your outro. And so will you please tell us which song you uh, have selected and a little bit about why? Oh, um, yeah. So the song that I selected was um, uh, John Mayer's uh, Waiting on the World to Change. Uh, I believe that's from the album Continuum. Um, so this is one of the songs I listened to even when I was in like high school. Um, and... Uh, the meaning I really never thought about that so um, so so I think the song what's what it's trying to express is um, our current generation um, let's say we uh, 
want to make a change and like we feel the need to make a change but then we also feel that maybe we are encumbered by like so many things that we're not able to make a change and then like you know we're kind of crying out so like we want to see a change but then um yeah but then there's like we kind of feel um kind of not powered enough and then again from the side of like you know people who are in a leadership position or like you know who are uh, maybe in politics like you know um maybe they are saying something like you know we even we want better for everyone but then it's just that the like things are so unfair that you know even if we try to do good things like they might not really end up in good things so it's just this like you know like how do we get across this barrier where like you know uh, even we want to like do good things but we aren't able to and even people in power who want to do good things but then like there's some things that are just not right right now so we want the world to change right yep well said so yatharta thank you very much for coming on so inspiration much. dissemination thank you very much and uh, yeah, this is Inspiration Dissemination. We're on every Sunday at 7 p.m. and we talk to graduate students each week. And thank you for listening. This is Waiting on the World to, Shane, to Change by John Mayer. And it's a request of our guest, Yathartha. You heard it on KBVR Corvallis.